morning, ladies and gentlemen. It's David Connett. Welcome to the Recycler Podcast. And my guest today is Peter Mayhew, Director and Senior Analyst at Lightwords. Hello, David. Hello, all. It's been a few weeks since we uh, last recorded the podcast, mainly because we've had some technical issues, a DDoS, dedicated denial of service attack on our website and servers. That puts us in the same league as uh, Xerox, Canon, who have had uh, ransomware attacks. So we haven't had to pay any money other than our IT team to sort everything out. But we're here now and we're uh, we're ready to go. So, Peter, so, what's next? Well, it's um, I guess this is uh, this week and well, past couple of weeks we got a uh, we got some endings to talk about. Staples being one, and uh, maybe the end of the print server as well. So a couple of endings to talk about. Some uh, some good news stories in terms of a couple of surveys which uh, paint uh, an interesting and maybe even rosy picture of what's going to happen in the future. We'll take a look at those. We've got some new products to talk about, and of course we've got our and finally as well. And then amongst all of that, don't forget we must also talk about counterfeiting because there's an interesting story there as well. So we've got a an interesting meander to go through this afternoon, Dave. Let's kick off with Xerox then. Yeah, okay. They're uh, expanding their their range with an everyday toner. What do you think about that? First of all, I was a little bit surprised when I saw this announcement, but then maybe I wasn't so much. We're all aware that Xerox have been in the aftermarket for supplies for some time. But I think what really took me aback when I dug into the story, Dave, was the scope and the range of brands and models which are in this range. That's a bit fascinating, isn't it? That's what I thought. I mean, yes, you're right. Xerox have been in the, the aftermarket forever and a day. And way back when, they, they even had their own range of new cartridges for um, Canon and HP printers. What's interesting today, you look at that list uh, of products you know, that they're going to be producing, the models they're printing for, they're really slapping their fellow OEM competitors in the face and saying, okay, we, we know the cherry's on your cake and we're now going after them. And they're going to go after them with uh, remanufactured and a new build product. And so that whole market dynamic of OEM reuse, you know, new non-OEM is now coming together in a fusion with an OEM umbrella. And it's, think, it's fascinating, isn't it? It really I is. If I was an OEM, I'd be saying, why didn't we do that first? <laughs> and, and in an indirect way, I do actually think it's good for uh, the reuse sector because you know, Xerox do discreetly have product remanufactured. And I think if, if they can take some more market share from the other OEMs, then a percentage of that everyday range will come from the reuse sector. Well, the other positive in this, I think, is the, um, the supportive message that it sends to Xerox partners as well. If you think about this, if you're a Xerox partner and you, you have been putting together MPS deals with mixed fleets these days, yeah. then you now can bring a Xerox branded product with its lifetime wallet warranty, you know, it's, it's wide compliance and safety and environmental regulation performance performance as well. You can bring that into that fleet quite successfully, quite happily. It brings you, you know, better annuity, better lock in there. And for Xerox, you know, it's it's another very, very good way of generating cash quickly. It's a win-win. 
And the thing is, when you do take over an MPS contract, the days when there was a big clear out and there's a fleet of lorries taking all the old stuff away and then a fleet of lorries coming in with all the new stuff, those days are gone. When you take over an MPS contract, you take over the technology that's in there. Yes, there will be some new stuff, but mm. until the technology changes dynamically, people are going to keep using, you know. CFOs have woken up to the fact that MFP is five years old. It's probably still got another five to ten years of life left in it. Exactly. So this is this is a um, I think a very shrewd move on the part of, of Xerox. Uh, you have to. <laughs> what I, do you say? It'd be interesting how, 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 how their competitors react if at all. I think it's a case of watch this space. <laughs> somebody at Xerox has got a smile on their face, and a few other OEMs are going to see a few of their cherries disappear. So, Staples, is this the end of an era? Well, Staples, yeah. This is the story about their um, their online business. You know, and this is really the, the continuation of a story that started back in 2016, isn't it, really? You know, this yeah. is where, you know, if you go back to 2016, this is when, you know, Staples abandoned their merger with Office Depot. And then um, the, the stores were all uh, sold off to... Hillco, they were rebranded as uh, as Office Outlet. That then fell into administration, didn't it, in uh, 2019, early in 2019. And we were left with staples.co.uk and the online business. So now we find that Banner Group, you know, which used to be HMSO. Do you remember HMSO, David? Back in the day, yes, yes. <laughs> My grandfather told me about it. <laughs> yes, so, so this is Banner Group, you know, was a part of HMSO, Her Majesty's Stationary Office. That's right. Yep, um, which is now part of the Evo Group, which is a big distribution uh, organisation. Actually, when you look at the stats for Evo Group, they're like, you know, £460 million group. Banner on their own, 2019 sales, £191 million to bring in the Staples online business as well makes a lot of sense. But I think that's inevitable. You, you, you're seeing this consolidation going on. It was only a month or so ago that Spicers you know, went to the wall and, yeah. and they were you know, 100 plus million. So yeah. it's just the way stationary is evolving you know it's a bit like the the travel agent sector people are doing it online people are buying their stationery online yeah I've yeah put my hand up until recently we bought our stationery online we yeah. now made a conscious decision to adopt uh, you know to buy local wherever it's possible and so w there is a stationery store in town and we buy our paper there and we order our printer supplies there it is a little bit more expensive but at the end of the day if we don't support it it will disappear i think what's also interesting about banner group as well which is just a an upside and the benefit to the staples customers as well the online customers is that they have a very impressive list of public sector procurement play frameworks which they subscribe to so if you're say maybe a school or an nhs facility or a bank, it's very easy for you to know that this supplier complies with your purchasing systems. So that's a very, very neat fit. And if you've been a Staples customer in the past, you might be a legacy school or whatever like that there. 
knowing that this transfer is going to happen, she's going to be a clean, a pretty clean slot in, I would imagine this. I think, again, you know, lots of upside there for um, for the Staples customers. I think the other thing that was interesting for me, too, was that the Staples brand doesn't quite go away just yet. There was a little little sentence in the announcement there that the um, the third-party logistics business, which was the redirection that Staples took, um, in the UK, that that does remain with Staples there. It's based over in Corby in Northamptonshire, and that little piece of logistics now, which services a lot of other industries besides stationery there as well. It's very much a distribution hub. That's what it looks like to me anyway. That remains there. So um, the brand doesn't quite go away, but I think we're, we're pretty much at the end of that story now. It's a shame, but there we go. Just like we've seen the, the travel industry change, I mean, there was Thomas Cook that's gone to the wall, stationery is changing as well. Yeah, it's part of the 21st century evolution. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there we, there we go. Shame, really. What's next? Why don't we have a quick chat about Microsoft Universal Print, which made a bit of a, a bit of a splash when it appeared, and then the ripple sort of quickly died away. You know, it was all over the news everywhere. It was um, it was going to be the uh, best thing since sliced bread, and now the uh, <laughs> the bread's getting a little bit stale, I suppose, really. But no, yeah. it's an interesting story, isn't it? It's all about Office 365 in organisations, isn't it, this one? It is indeed, yes. I, and I'm thinking, is this Microsoft's sort of plan to compete in the office imaging space in the sense that they they could, you can basically print anywhere through Office 365, you know, uh, or have the document delivered to a printer anyway. It makes sense. But also, you know, when you see that some of the OEMs, you know, they're creative ideas for the um, – the, the MFP that sits in the, the office, you know, it becomes the IT hub, the server and everything else. There's a potential to for a conflict or a partnership in the sense of this beast that's there could do so much more in terms of running your communications, your server, your, uh, you know, your Skyping. It, it, it could be so many other things apart from just a printer. Well, you know, it's, it's an interesting one, and I, I, I am no real sort of specific insight on this one other than to say that um, I do wonder how much of this was Microsoft seeing an opportunity or how much it was Microsoft being pushed over the head to um, to do something about something, you know, uh, whether, how much was a push and how much was a pull. Because when you think about it, it sits on the, the Azure Active Directory, which is becoming really a go-to place for security these days. Yeah. Um, you know, and as we move more towards work from home and the role of the cloud becomes ever more important, and the need for security with printing becomes just more relevant. It does make sense to bring some of these sort of functionality together and to link with Azure. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's an awful lot of people that are connected through Azure as part of their, their enterprise. And when you look back at this, you see how clearly the, the go-to, the default, is probably Office 365. It's your Word, it's your Excel, it's your basic Office suite. But Google is competitive in that space, but Google have kind of walked away a little bit of late from print and printing and left it just to the humble print queue and the print server there. So I wonder if Microsoft has seen this as a little bit of a gap, a little bit of an opportunity here to just reinforce the strength of their offering in that enterprise space. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right. And and again, you know, I mean, we've talked quite a lot about firmware updates, but actually, you know, Microsoft is also um, a villain in the piece that every quite often when they issue an update to Windows or, or whatever, a printer or another falls off. The next, your printer worked on Friday, you, you've updated Windows over the weekend, and on Monday, your system doesn't even see the printer. To be fair, Microsoft will rush it around and fix it quite quickly. But there's that opportunity, I think, to say, look, rather than let's take printers seriously and deliver a service that is a value add for the client. Yeah, well, print is very much, you know, in terms of security and information leak, print is very much the uh, one of the bigger holes in the in the ship, isn't it? As a, you know, this in a way addresses the, the, the who question. Who wants to print, you know, and, and it just, because at the end of the day, it's going to be somebody who's going to hit print because they want that piece of information in a hard copy in some way, somewhere, in some form. So if you can link that to that individual's credentials, then that gives you a level of security there. And I, and I know I'm, I apologize. I know I'm simplifying this down somewhat, but um, it, it was an interesting move, an interesting move, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, in a sense, it's exciting as an industry. It's 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 in the mature part of the curve, but at the same time, there are things that can happen that enables it to be reinvented. So, if an OEM can turn you know the humble copier printer in the corner in, into something more relevant because a lot of them now have got a lot of digital storage on board for documents and everything so there's no reason why you can't your phone system on it why you can't put your video conferencing on it at the end of the day they are monsters and modern electronics here you can fit this stuff in quite easily and it becomes a functional piece of the uh, the office rather than the beast in the corner that nobody wants you, to deal you, and, and you see more and more OEMs starting to recognise that as the OEMs and their channel partners move more towards IT services there's a, there's a you know if you've got sufficient power and capacity in that beast in the corner there then why would you not want to leverage it? Why, why, why not? Yeah. Why, why, okay, it's nice to sell another server, but is that necessary? Is that environmentally a good thing to do? Probably not. Think about it from a HP point of view. They make computers, including servers, and they make printers. So there is a synergy that says we can bring those together. Yeah. An, an interesting fact that I saw recently is that obviously there's been a downturn for everybody in terms of sales, yeah, anywhere between like 20 and 85%, depending on which sort of business you're in and what your channel is. But one sector that seems to have been not impacted so much is the ITVAR organization you know they run typically the IT system in a in small and medium businesses and they've been heavily into supplying consumables the last few years and yeah. their sales of consumables have been fairly less impacted since yeah. covid yeah is there a, a, a change obviously the aftermarket reacts to what the OEMs are doing but it's interesting to see what's coming down the road that you know that the printer might not become obsolescent it might become the hub of technology in, in an office it just takes on a different role we we know we've, we've talked about it many times printing's not going away the paperless office you know you still need a TARDIS to go and find yeah. it
I stumbled across these couple of surveys this week. You know me, I love my surveys. There's one that's come out from an organisation I know very well called Quo Circa. They do some really uh, stunning work. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that, but they do. And they did a survey of some 300-odd IT decision makers who were employed in uh, uh, organisations that have over 500 employees. This was a study carried out in the USA and in the UK just back in July. There was one of the findings that I read in this study that, that piqued my interest in that um, 71% of respondents expect print volumes to remain the same or increase, which I thought was an interesting fact to read there. Obviously, when you read into it a little bit further, it was really based around the fact that organisations need to catch up on printing. They haven't been able to print for a while, so expect a pick-up, expect a pick. You know, once people get back in the office, there'll be a, I must print this, and I must print that, and I must update that manual, and I must, you know, redo that presentation and print that out again and get those speaker notes ready. Da -da -da -da. So there's a lot of legacy printing waiting to happen. So make sure the, uh, the cartridge cupboard is well stocked, so to speak, there. So um, longer term, though, it was not such good news, you know, and over the longer term, I think we can expect, I think the study was alluding to that uh, this erosion will continue. But in the short term, expect uh, some kind of an uptick, which was, was quite interesting. And the other point that came out was it that was the UK um, IT decision makers, uh, the survey identified that many of them are actually out there reconfiguring their uh, offices as well at the moment, especially their print fleets. As yeah. well. so, uh, so it was an interesting study, that one. Well, I know I was speaking to uh, a good friend of mine who uh, is been working from home, and she works from home four days a week, and she's in the office one day a week. But she said when she's in the office, she probably spends an hour in the afternoon before she leaves just printing out everything she needs for the four days. And I said... You know, why is that? Do you not have a printer? She said, well, no. She said, I've got a printer at home. She said, but it's busy because her husband's working from home and then the kids uh, are using it as well because now that it's busy and it works, she said, so I print everything out and take it with me. <laughs> Yeah, it's very interesting how printing has changed, isn't it? Yeah. Very, it's fascinating. I, don't know. I, I think I think the current work, business, commercial interest around COVID will see that uptick again. That uptick will be won't be back at December 2019 levels, but it will be a, a spurt. Yeah, I think overall. You know, cost per copy is still going to be the transactional business is still going to be down, and you are going to continue to see retail or you know transactional sales grow. I mean, you know, it, it, it's no secret that inkjet is still flying out the door, and big manufacturers can't get enough empties. Good for them. You know, that's a really positive thing. And I don't think the OEMs can get enough inkjet cartridges in the channel to um, you know to meet all the demand. And so yeah, I think that's. An interesting consequence isn't it of yeah. what's happened with covid i mean there was looking at this survey here from context as well which really confirmed that there was a spike in in april something like about 72 percent up year on year of sales of um, of uh, inkjet printers but revenues were down by about 10 percent mainly because of the lower average selling prices that were going in there so all the glitters was not quite go lots of 
gold. Lots of lots of volume, not a lot of value uh, there. And it was mainly the low entry and mid range products. And that is a problem, isn't it? Because those machines now, we in a way we've distorted the installed base, haven't we? You know, we've shifted a lot of hardware down into this lower end there, the capacity there. And this, and this is what we're seeing with the supplies now. You know, it's going to have a you know an impact and a consequence on demand for supplies as we go forward and how people access those supplies, you know, because it's not so easy to go down the high street and buy a cartridge these days. No, it's not. You're absolutely right there, you know. Yeah, and the OEMs really, you know, their supply channel is all geared up for, you know, the transaction and the contractual sale and suddenly there's a huge demand for inkjet and they're caught on the, the back foot at the moment. But mm. it will settle down, it will settle down and in the meantime, reuse, remanufacturing, uh, compatibles will be able to fill the market and like yeah. we said last time you know uh, the witch consumer report there's no problem using you know compatible inkjets you know the quality is there the service is there and in a lot of cases it was better than what the OEM were delivering that's not me saying that because I am biased that is what UK consumer magazine which is saying yeah I thought the other interesting thing that come out of this context survey which always surprises me just a little bit is just how strong Grubber is in the market. You know, we often get hung up and focused on the Canons, the HPs and the Epson, but yet Grubber really was the big winner here. Their consumer, their year-on-year business was up over a third. You know, in commercial-type products they have there, they were up 17%, you know, and led the field there as well. Um they're just a bit of a bit of a sleeping giant in a way, aren't they? You know, Peter. It's absolutely simple. They build their printers like they build their sewing machine. You know, they're solid, yeah, they're reliable. They work. Uh, they're not exciting. They don't have a gazillion different models and versions and updates and blah 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 blah. They work, and that's what people want. And that Ooh. reliability is is a factor. You know, I I went out and I bought I bought one. I have to say, <laughs> even I bought one. You know, because um, we needed a new printer home you know oh no about a year ago and i'd never i'd never bought that brand before you know i mean i i've had my similar experiences to everybody else with the uh, with the major oems and i've reached my conclusions there so i thought well let's just let's give this one a try you know and actually you're absolutely right david it weighs a ton given that it only prints at like about 20 ppm you know but it does what it says on the tin every day without a problem. day in day out you know whether it's my wife printing or it's me printing at home, it just works. If we're having an OEM loving, <laughs> no, <laughs> then, then I have to shout out for Epson because this week we bought uh, an Epson scanner, photo scanner, you know, with a photo feed because the magazine has got 60,000 pictures over the years. We finally decided to, to digitize them. So we did the market research. We bought the Epson scanner, set it up, uh, and it was really easy to set up. And then started yeah you know, I, I got a box of pictures out and just it took me longer to sort them out in terms of oh that's 1996 that's 1997 type of thing it took me yeah. longer to sort them out than it did to scan them you know once you loaded 50 in and press scan they were done and what i really liked about it it scanned the picture created the the jpeg in the folder but then copied it and enhanced it so it, it corrected for the aging and everything else oh that's brilliant yeah and there's another feature that i'm a big believer of writing on the back of pictures so like taking a picture and then i write all my notes you know oh yeah this was taken at 
paperboard in 19-whatever. It will also scan the back at the same time. So you get one picture, you get the original, you get the enhanced copy, and then you get the notes that you've written on the back as a third image. And 30 pictures in 30 seconds. No, it's it's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, no, great, great device. Anyway, enough enough of this... um, You know, this upsell. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's enough. We have been cruel recently. But we can be kind too. A little bit on the um, Y former end of things. Here's my did you know. Okay. Did you know that 40% of shoppers visit in stores that have got, no, 40% of shoppers have stopped visiting stores with unclear social distancing signage. Try saying that after a couple of glasses of red wine. Basically, what this survey is a survey covered out, carried out by Census Wide for Roland DG. You know, Roland, who make not just the uh, keyboards, but they also make wide format printers as well. Uh, they surveyed some 2,500 shoppers, and it really just hit home so hard that people will avoid a shop if it hasn't got the correct social distancing signage in there. What's the link of that to printing? Well, all of that signage, it's all printed on white white printers, and they're all using inks. And guess who's piled in this just this week with some uh, some new ink? It's uh, NASDAQ our aftermarket company who had just announced a, uh, a range of inks for the uh, for one range of printers, the Color Painter M64s. Um, it's a solvent ink, but it's fully warranted, and they're clearly looking to, uh, you know, just get a little bit more of a share of that market there. So it's an interesting one from NASDAQ there, and it's interesting that connection that you've got to keep that, that signage up, you know, otherwise the shoppers won't walk in the door. I was out shopping earlier today at the checkout of the supermarket, everything is quite clearly marked on the floor so you know you you go this way and then this idiot just walks through doesn't follow any of the rules and then he gets a little bit huffy because a couple of people have turned around to him and said oi you know get at the back of the queue and all the rest and then he realises oh yeah sorry you know and and sort of slinks off to the back of the queue but you're right I think if it is clearly marked you understand and you don't have to ask questions Mm -hmm. or anything like that and if it isn't clearly marked it's like you know what else don't they do properly well, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, because you tend to look question. at... If you can't get this right, what else are you not getting right? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a big uh, big issue uh, that's okay. going to be around for some time. So my thing in finishing is counterfeiting. Oh, yeah, let's have a little chat about that. That's an interesting so, one. Yeah, what you got, Dave? Here in Germany, uh, authorities uh, ra- carried out some raids on behalf of Brother, and they found a lot of counterfeit cartridges and counterfeit packaging, including uh, Brother uh, you know, security labels. It tends to be a regular thing, and there seems to be a pattern that product comes from from wherever packaging comes from wherever and then at a regional sort of national level somebody puts an mm. innocuous cart you know, labels it up as a brother cartridge or an OHP whatever the OEM yeah. is and sticks it in the packaging and sells it it happens all over you know you can see you know if you go on the recycler website and you type in counterfeiting you'll find stories all the time it, it's happening all over the place but there is a particular pattern. It, it is always the product comes from wherever, the mm. packaging comes from somewhere, and it all comes together in one place, and that's where it happens. It's and assembled and uh, then distributed. Yeah. Stephanie yeah. was talking to uh, somebody 
who is uh, very knowledgeable about the counterfeit market. You won't name him because to protect their identity and because they are actively involved in the undercover side of the counterfeit. And I said, you know, it's they come and then a, a large government department or a big corporate customer orders a, a pallet of OEM product and maybe they're a reseller, the, the pallet comes in and as much as a third of it could be counterfeit because what an importer is doing is a little bit of everything and yep, two, three pallets of OEM, one pallet of counterfeit and yeah. nobody knows the difference and it gets fed through the channel and HP now are doing inspections on customer premises just to make sure that the whole system is is secure but counterfeiting pretty much is a problem I, I, it really it, is yeah. going back a few years now but uh, I think one estimate was that one in five cartridges that are sold sorry one in 20 cartridges that are sold yeah. are possibly counterfeit Right, so it's a real problem. It really is a problem, and it's it's um, it's not helpful to to the industry. Well, it, really, it's, it's, I mean, really let's be clear about this: counterfeiting is a criminal activity. You're, yeah, you're yeah. taking something, putting it in packaging, uh, and passing it off as something else, and yeah. it's absolutely a criminal activity. It's and you get to prison for it. But it hurts the OEM because it takes revenue away from them, and at the end of the day, they're the ones that you know pump all the money into the R and D. There wouldn't be an aftermarket industry without an OEM market. But at the same time, you know, when somebody's when a consumer's confidence is uh, yeah, exactly. because yeah. they bought a counterfeit product, they don't consider buying another aftermarket product. They no, they look at they jump back to the OEM. Jump back to the OEM. Exactly. So, so yeah. we, we all have a responsibility wherever you are in the market to report counterfeiting and get it shut. How, down. how do how do we do that? I I, I seem to recall uh, seeing somewhere there's actually a website and there's a reporting I, system. Is that the IWC? A lot of OEMs have it, um, but certainly the the recycler. You, if you send it to info at the recycler, then the, the magazine's contacts with the OEMs will get the message, and and, and the magazine can deliver it anon anonymously. Now, that's a great way of keeping the industry as clean as we possibly can. If you hear of anything at all, then just just get on there. So, what's that email address, Dave? Uh, Infotherecycler.com. Infotherecycler.com. Yeah, yeah, and it will be treated uh, absolute privacy. The main thing is the information, and it will yeah. get passed to the right people in the OEM. Yeah, let's get it reported. Let's let's yeah. get it cleaned up. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Well, Peter, we're already at the end of another podcast well we certainly hope that you're enjoying it uh, listening yeah. to our podcast if you are then let us know give us a call we'd love to invite you in absolutely well Peter thanks again it's Friday afternoon so uh, have a good weekend and we'll catch up again soon and thank you everybody for listening